The following podcast is presented by Together Washington. Together Washington, we are seeking to build bridges across divides and tell the inspiring stories of those building the common good. If you'd like to support or get involved with Together Washington, go to togetherwashington.com. We want to tell the stories of of those who are who are building the common good. We want to inspire our region, inspire our state. We want to bring people together. This is really difficult, divided times. I mean, just this this week alone, this past week has just been so horrific and tragic in so many ways. I mean, it, it is just. I hate even looking at the news because it seems like almost every day brings another tragic incident, you know, in our country, um, around our state, you know, thinking of what happened in Colorado, what happened in Atlanta. It's just, it feels like there is just no shortage of bad news happening. And, and really our heart here is we've got to be able to tell those inspiring stories of, of people doing good things in our state, in our country. I mean, we, we really need that because we are um, just at a point, I think, where um, we're just at, at odds and we're so divided. And, and you know what? There are some amazing people out there who are doing some amazing, tremendous things. In fact, today I am so excited to have on my friend Mary Cypers. Mary is the regional director of the Anti-Defamation League and just doing absolutely amazing work in our uh, region, in the Pacific Northwest, and in fact, just across Washington and Alaska, Idaho. And I know this has been, you know, just a really um, tough time for her as well. I mean, they've been, I guess in some respects, maybe you don't want, um, you know, the ADL being... Um, you know, too busy because of the things that are happening. But unfortunately, what we're seeing um, across, you know, our region and country with the the spike in in hate crimes and um, the spike in violence against people of eth- different ethnicities and minorities, uh, the work that they're doing is is really so so important. And you know, here if you've been listening here the last couple months, you know our. Uh, you know, belief here is that we we are humans, right? Every single human in our state, in our country, is a human being, deserves dignity and respect. And that is just so, so important, no matter where you find yourself at on the ideological spectrum, the political spectrum, we are all humans at the end of the day. And for really, if we all sat down, we'd say, you know what, we desire a lot of the most of the same things. We want our region, we want our country to be a place of, of peace, a place of hope, a place to raise our kids, um, that they would be treated fairly. We, that is what we desire. And unfortunately, we're just, again, seeing um, some really tough things across our region and country. The Anti-Defamation League, if, if you are not uh, familiar, and I know we're, when we get uh, Miri on here in a moment, she's going to share you know, just more in depth of just the incredible work that they're doing. But they were founded in 1913 in response to the escalating climate of anti-Semitism. And its timeless mission is to protect the Jewish people and to secure justice and fair treatment for all. And that is a that is a great mission. 
ADL is the first call when acts of anti-Semitism occur, and they're a global leader in delivering anti-bias education, exposing extremism, and just doing some amazing things. So I am so glad to have the regional director of the Anti-Defamation League. Mary, welcome to the show. Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for for taking uh, some of your time today to be with us. We really, really appreciate it and hope that you and your family are are doing okay and, and holding up right now. Thank you. We are we are doing well. We are surviving these crazy times we find ourselves in. Yeah, and you've got just such a amazing family. And I'd love to just hear, I, I obviously just gave a, a quick kind of purview of of the ADL, but I'd love to just, you know, we'll get into this in terms of the amazing work that you're doing, but I would just love to hear, um, you know, how you got involved with the ADL and what, what really inspired you to take this role as regional director, which regional director, that's, that's Washington, Alaska, Idaho, Oregon. Is that correct? And Montana. And oh, don't forget our beautiful five-state region. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. Montana. I'm sorry, uh, but yeah, t- I mean, tell us, um, tell us how you decided. You know what? This is. I really desire to do this work. Well, I have always been someone who's been very passionate about public service, and after I graduated from college, I moved to Washington D.C., where I worked for several years in Congress as a legislative aide, and it was a great foundation for anything that you want to do next. You have to hustle, you have to be tough, you have to work long hours, and you have to just be really quick on your toes and learn quickly on the job. And after that um, experience working in government, I had a few different roles working outside of government and discovered that I really loved advocacy, Um, being able to advocate for an issue or a cause that you care about to work in coalition with a lot of other groups with different interests from different communities with diverse sets of thinking and try to get something over the finish line is just really powerful. So I started out um, really dipping my toes in the advocacy world and working at a variety of different nonprofits. And eventually before I worked at the ADL, I had the true honor of a lifetime working for former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords and her husband, Captain Mark Kelly at their gun violence prevention organization. And I worked uh, in doing federal lobbying for them, lobbying members of Congress on sort of common sense um, policies to prevent gun violence in our communities. And I also did a lot of partnership building, which taught me a lot about how to work on an issue that can be perceived as something that's controversial, but to really have conversations with people across difference and bridge divides so you can come to some sort of common sense um, solutions and and efforts together. So those things certainly taught me a lot about the diversity of our country and our different viewpoints and the ways that we approach issues. And it was a valuable experience. And after um, a couple of years, I really was itching to move back West um, and back home and it was right after Charlottesville happened. And as, you know, a Jewish person living in America, as a person with, um, you know, a new baby at home, I really thought about what I wanted to do next and how I wanted to work 
at an organization that would make a better world for my kids and ensure that we build communities where everybody feels like they can belong. And I was really drawn to ADL because of a lot of different areas, you know, the mission of standing up for other communities and not just one sort of recognizing that our faiths are intertwined and, you know, the discrimination against one group is really um, the discrimination against all. And I was also really particularly drawn to the education work of the ADL with young people that I'm happy to tell you more about. So that's a little bit about my journey. I've been with the organization for over three years. It's been a really challenging time in society. We've had to just adapt really quickly and do rapid response and, um, you know, just make sure that we're serving the needs of the community and we're adapting to the world that's changing and becoming more complicated. So it's been an interesting ride, but, you know, we're, we're really proud of the work that we do and we know just how relevant it is, especially, you know, over these last couple of weeks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you ha- and I know we'll get into um, this uh, event that you're hosting here, the Allyship in Action, which is which is coming up. Uh, when is that, by the way? Yeah, we're excited. It's actually tomorrow. At it's noon, tomorrow at noon. Specific time. Yeah. And, you know, in response to the tragedy in Atlanta and just the steep escalation of hate crimes targeting the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities, we really wanted to step up and convene some sort of event that, you know, didn't just talk about tragedy and hate, but thought about how we could galvanize people and put our energy into activism. So the idea is how do we, as you know, community members from all different backgrounds think about the ideas of allyship what are they? How do we develop these kinds of muscles and skills? And how do we put them into practice in our everyday lives? You know, whether it's for the API community, um, you know, or for other communities that are um, unfortunately suffering. So I think it'll be a really powerful event. And we're super excited to have former Governor Gary Locke join us and over 20 organizations from actually all over the Pacific Northwest, just not not just Washington. So we're looking forward to something powerful and, you know, hoping to continue to build on that throughout the year. That's absolutely amazing. And I know we're our uh, organization together. Washington is certainly proud to be a co-sponsor of that with you and pre- appreciate yeah, what you guys you. are doing for that. And I tell you, you know, I, I'd love to just dive in a little more to with the ADL. I mean, there's with, with you leading these efforts and, and the history, right. Of anti-Semitism and the strides that we have made, I would love to just kind of get your thoughts because I, I love being seeing the fact that the leadership that you and the ADL take on this because of all the things that you've really learned and have led on. Can you can you extrapolate on that and share more of um, how the ADL just does such a tremendous job uh, being able to coalesce and bring uh, groups together? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you a little bit more. I mean, I think that organization, one of the things that really we do well is we recognize that, you know, the issue of fighting hate or any kind of bigotry against any community is really complicated. And there's no silver bullet or one singular type of action that, you know, we can take as individuals or collectively that's really going to solve the problem. But I think that the ADL over the years has learned that there are so many different ways in an integrated and comprehensive and holistic way that we need to tackle the issue. 
So I think that kind of approach is something that is important and works really well. It has to be sophisticated. It has to be multifaceted. And you have to be able to adapt, you know, as the world is changing. You know, we've always had a few different pillars of our work in different ways that we combat the issue. Um, we really value K through 12 education and believe that, you know, no, no baby is born with hatred, you know, in, in her heart or mind. But it is something that's learned over time. And bias are things that are learned over time, often at really young ages. Our research shows around three to five kids start to notice difference. So it's really important that we have conversations with the next generation and give them actual tools and skills, you know, to think about inclusion, to appreciate their own identity, to think about others' identity, to create places that are belonging for everybody. So K-12 through education is a very big piece of what we do. We also are really proud of the fact, you know, like you alluded to, that we want to be a convener, a trainer, and a resource and support for different community organizations and stakeholders that respond to hate, whether it's law enforcement or different community-based organizations. You know, we want to be an organization that others can partner with and lean on when acts of hate occur. You know, we can train on hate crimes. We have national experts who are at the forefront of tracking and understanding domestic extremism and thinking about white supremacy and and tracking people in, in organizations and you know, groups in the online space and really helping the public understand what's going on and, and what current threats are. And I would say the third pillar of what we do is is our advocacy work, which is really core. I mean, it's not enough to just spotlight and track and provide data and training and education. Um, you know, we need to have stronger laws and policies that protect all marginalized people and ensure, you know, people's rights are protected and that discrimination doesn't happen in our laws. And so there's definitely a lot of work to do. And I will say a really important piece of what we do, the fourth and final thing, and it's not the final thing, though, because <laughs> there's, there's a lot that goes into it, both yeah. regionally and nationally, um, you know, and there's different components as well. But we also, you know, we want to be a community organization that's there for people when they're a victim of bias or hate or discrimination of any form, not just anti-Semitism. So people can report to the ADL and we provide resources and support, you know, whether it's working with schools or partnering with law enforcement or hosting community programs to bring light. And through that kind of close data collection throughout the years and reporting mechanisms that we have, We've really been able to be a bulwark against hate, but really shine a bright light on what we're seeing in society. And without that data and that information, it can be hard to track. So that is really invaluable to our work because we can describe to the press and we can you know, describe to our communities exactly what we're seeing, what trends we're noticing over time. And that really helps us inform our strategy. Um, you know, one thing that we're seeing now, and we can we can dive more into this, is just the growth of online hate and harassment and how it targets marginalized communities. So we recognize that, you know, hate doesn't only happen on the ground. It's not just, you know, the vandalism of a mosque or, you know, graffiti. It's, it's happening in the online world in terms of bullying and targeting people because of who they are. So, you know, just like the issue of hate has adapted over time. So too, we are adapting our work over time and our responses. So, that hopefully gives you a little bit um, more about the different facets of what we do. But, you know, I think our ethos is you have to be, it takes a community effort. You have to be holistic about it and you have to be able to 
work with other people and communicate across difference and work across difference to not only educate young people about how to be, you know, collaborative and compassionate and empathetic towards others, but we as adults need that too. So we try to model that kind of behavior, you know, with our, with our organizations and in our community as well. We're talking to Mary Cypers. She's the regional director of the Anti-Defamation League, which serves uh, five states in the Northwest, uh, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, and Alaska. We've got Mary Cypers today. She is the regional director of the Anti-Defamation League, doing incredible work at a very important time in our region, in our country, and trying to bring people together, trying to listen, to learn, to understand, uh, treat people with dignity, respect. Goodness sakes, we we need that right now. And, you know, Mary, the the thing I was going to, wanted to ask you, you know, talking about the incredible work that the Anti-Defamation League has been doing for, for so many years in, in bringing people together. My my sense or guess would be that there, in, in the things that I've read, is that even in the Jewish community, there's it's not um, monolithic, right? You have, um, th- there's, there's um, you know, perhaps different ideologies and there's different expressions. And to be able to, I'd love to just hear what has that looked like, you know, either for you or for the ADL, how you unite the the Jewish community together and then you kind of take that out and to help bring other people together? Is there is there some kind of element of truth in, in that? Yeah, absolutely. I do think, you know, like any community, you know, when you're not, um, you know, fully engaged or, you know, maybe you don't know community members well, I think there is that tendency to kind of stereotype or, you know, perceive that that group is monolithic, you know, in their beliefs or their religious observance or um, any of that. But yeah, I mean, certainly the Jewish community is incredibly diverse, you know, in religious practice, you know, there's so many different denominations. It's also really interesting, especially in the Seattle area, there's a really rich history of the Jewish community hailing from all over the world before coming to Seattle from, you know, the island of Rhodes and Greece and, um, you know, Spain and, you know, all, all these different interesting places. So you have, you know, Jews who are Sephardic and Jews who are Ashkenazi coming from all different places. Um, you know, I even know, um, you know, Jewish people in the Seattle area whose families actually came from China. There's just been a lot of different waves of immigration for the Jewish community during our history um, because of persecution. So it's taken us to some very interesting places. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, I am proud of, especially in Seattle and so many other places, is that the Jewish community, you know, really comes together on communal issues of importance and views allyship and solidarity and relationships with other groups as as really paramount. So we have some really great ways that, you know, we organize effectively and have lobby days and advocate for issues that we care about. So it's been really wonderful, um, you know, to be able to engage and connect with so many diverse organizations from throughout the area that are doing work with that kind of lens. And certainly, you know, the more that one community, you know, can be cohesive and you know, unite and come together around certain issues, it, it makes it, 
um, you know, even better when we try to do outreach and really forge relationships with others that might be experiencing, you know, similar types of challenges. So what are those lessons you think we can, as a general community, and even, you know, as other uh, groups, right? Like what can, you know, not only as a general community, I'm a product, what can, a, what can us as Protestants learn from how uh, the Jewish community, right, has been able to just work and collaborate and treat each other with respect in, in a way that we're not necessarily just seeing across, um, you know, the, the state or the country? What, what are those lessons that we can learn? Those are great questions. I mean, I don't want to paint a, a, you know, a beyond perfect picture. I mean, you know, I think every community has its challenges and its differences, but I guess it's how you work across those differences, um, you know, is really what defines you and allows you to make progress and allows you to make change. But, you know, I do think one of the ways that's been really interesting that we've been having conversations with others, um, you know, about some of the ways that we organize and some of the structures that help us, um, you know, a lot of communities, like in Seattle, um, has a newly formed body called the Jewish Community Relations Council, and it's an umbrella organization of different um, communities that sort of sign on um, and work in coalition together, even when there are differences. And we have various committees and bodies that meet, like community outreach, engagement, advocacy, um, all different sorts of ways that we really try to collaborate and communicate with one another. So you know, we're united and we're on similar pages. And when important topics come up for our communities um, that are relevant and vital to us, you know, we have ways to harness our power and our resources and really be more united as opposed to kind of doing work in silos. So it's definitely an interesting model. And I think it's allowed us to be really effective. And I think, you know, something unique that ADL brings to the table, like I was talking about before, is you know, the ways that we input different community concerns and we track, you know, when hate-related incidents happen, both anti-Semitic and otherwise, it's really helpful to have that information over the years and to be able to be a repository and an actor for, you know, issues that impact your community and often being able to talk about trends and, you know, to be a trusted source of information and have that credible voice is something that is really, I think, essential. So there are so many different, you know, ways that we all bring something special, you know, with our programs and our perspective to the table. So that is an important way. I think that, you know, we've um, organized ourselves in various communities and it's enabled us to be successful in doing that kind of outreach and external work that we really care about. Yeah. And I mean, what a great point. What other organizations? And I'm sure there's they're 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 there. But I mean, you're, you're going back 107, 108 years, right, that you've been that you've been doing this kind of work. And there's so much um, that we need to take from the all these lessons in, in the ways that you've approached things over the years. I noticed, you know, Mary, you were you know, you're in the news here a couple of days ago. Um, and sharing some some really good insights on um, this restaurant that was up in, I think, the Snohomish area. And I'd love to just have you share your perspective. I think it's it would be really helpful for our listeners. Um, you know, with there, there was a restaurant called um, the Soup Nazi, and mm-hmm. some folks were saying, "Hey, what's the big deal? It's just a it's." 
hey, everybody needs to kind of calm down, and it's just a Seinfeld reference. And, and you know, it's interesting because there's some things that our society has kind of, in some ways, like, and Ricky, I don't know if you follow comedians at all, like Ricky Gervais. Do you follow him? Mm-hmm. I mean, he he kind of like. Little. I mean, I know I know of him. <laughs> I mean, he kind of makes this big deal about hey, just people, come on, like don't be offended about absolutely everything happening, and you, you otherwise you you know you you won't be able to 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 breathe, right? Um, and so there's these different kind of reactions, right? There's one side that's like, hey, goodness sakes, re- relax, right? Don't be offended about everything, and then there's another side that is looking to maybe be offended. How do we walk through that kind of that lane, right? Where we, because we, when I see what you said, I like you brought some really important points that need to be said to, you know, let's say some of our listeners who are like, Hey, goodness sakes, why are, why is our society just being offended about everything? Um, How do we approach that? And in regard, in re- I know it's a long question, a long way to ask the question, <laughs> but in in relation to then this issue, give our listeners, tell them why in this particular instance it is important, and then how do we walk through it where we're not just trying to be offended about everything, but we're also being really sensitive and conscious to things that are offensive. Yeah, it's such a great question. You know, it was interesting because sometimes you plan your week and you have this whole vision of how it's going to go and you have your press releases teed up and all these, you know, reports you're putting out. And then, you know, the press tends to focus on this kind of, you know, singular random incident that you didn't expect would pop up and suddenly you just get all these inquiries about it. Um, So it was just, it was kind of an interesting piece of my week. And, you know, I'll say for your listeners who aren't familiar with the story, you know, there's a restaurant in Everett, a new one um, that recently popped up that is called the Soup Nazi, you know, popular reference to our much beloved, um, you know, pop culture icon, um, you know, TV show Seinfeld. But I think what, not only the name um, that obviously raised alarm, you know, bells with us, but when you actually went to the, website for the restaurant they had a caricature of a cartoonish female in an ss uniform um with different sort of like holocaust and nazi era references or nazi references so that definitely for us was something um that made us really concerned and we're in the process of reaching out to the restaurant owner to convey why we have concerns but i i think you know just to kind of take a step back this the recent shooting in Atlanta, and I think the conversation we're having right now in society about racism targeting the Asian American and Pacific Islander community has had me thinking a lot about history and how I think we've lost a sense of history or a a value in learning about history, especially like for young people and even for adults as well, and kind of thinking about how the things that we're seeing today are not just kind of these one-off, you know, pop-up things that are going on. This all relates to history and has context and background and nuance and richness, you know, that I think is really important. So I don't liken the two um, incidents at all, but it has had me thinking a lot recently about history and how we need to put more emphasis on 
understanding it. So today we can, you know, properly respond when things happen, you know, to the restaurant in Everett. I mean, I certainly think there are fun and playful and tasteful ways to kind of riff off of, you know, history and in different things in a pop culture sense. But if you think about the world that we're living in today with, you know, the prevalence of anti-Semitism being on the rise, one thing that I always think about in my own life is how when I go to any Jewish synagogue, institution, community center, preschool, summer camp, there are armed guards outside. And I don't think it's something that people realize that much, but it's an absolute normal part of everyday life if you're Jewish in the United States today. And that shows you that we're a community that doesn't feel safe, that isn't safe, that's being targeted, that needs people with guns outside of daycares protecting our kids. Every single hour that they're in school, you know, my four-year-old asked me about it last week and asked why there was this armed guard outside of her school, which, you know, there's an armed guard every single day. Oh my goodness. And I said, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell her why, um, that's a conversation you will have in time. And I just said, he helps with traffic and he helps keep people safe. And, you know, that's the reality of today. So, you know, I think it's easy for people to feel like, you know, cancel culture and political correctness has gone too far. But the truth is that, you know, people who are of, you know, minority religions and, you know, minority backgrounds feel very vulnerable. So I think honoring that kind of history and not diminishing it is really important today, even though I know that, of course, people have the tendency to feel like political correctness has gone too far. But, you know, I, I would urge people to just kind of think about those things in context and history and for the community that's impacted what that truly means and, you know, what that history for them has truly meant. So that's what I would say. But well, I do think, you know, I'm oh, sorry, please. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, you know, I think this kind of national conversation we're having now and learning more about the Asian experience, the Asian American experience in the United States and, you know, obviously in the Pacific Northwest where it's such a vibrant and important part of, you know, our community and society, that kind of history is, you know, equally as important to understand. So it it is kind of interesting in today's world how um, we have really very few states that kind of teach about like Holocaust or genocide education and actually mandate that in school. So, Um, you know, I urge people to just kind of reflect and take a step back when those things happen and think about the impact on history and think about, you know, the impact of people today who are part of that community and how it, how it affects them. Well, it's such a powerful point around understanding and continuing to, to learn and know, I mean, that is absolutely so important. And I think you're right on the money that we just don't know anymore. Um, what happened you know, 60, 70, 80 years ago, right? Which isn't that long in the course of history, but to, to continue to, you know, to either make fun or joke of, I mean, some of the biggest atrocities, right. Is, is just not acceptable. Right. I mean, that is, I mean, that is a absolute, um, you know, horrific kind of joke to joke about atrocities like that, that come up. You know, the thing that is interesting that you also mentioned with here in the Asian American community, I had a friend, I just saw her post on Facebook a couple of days ago. She's Japanese American. And I remember this from a couple of years ago when she posted um, that she is, she lives downtown Seattle and she had been 
randomly assaulted on walking walking home from work just on Fifth Avenue, and she showed and she showed pictures of her face, right, which was completely, um, you know, bruised and beaten, and at the time she didn't say anything or I, and no one suspected that oh that this was someone may have come after her for her um, ethnicity and she posted again um, a couple days ago kind of re you know bringing that up again and said you know i i had some suspicions that maybe that I was kind of approached because of my ethnicity and now I'm just like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of re-traumatized thinking about like this actually could have been, uh, someone could have approached me because of this. And I just, just seen her say that a couple of days ago. I mean, it just kind of put a pit in my stomach of like, Oh my goodness. I remember when that happened and how horrific that was a couple of years ago for a single young woman to get, mm-hmm viciously beaten up in downtown Seattle. And then to think that these kind of things are actually happening um, at a, at a really, you know, just unbelievable clip in terms of to our friends in the Asian American community. And just thinking about that someone would have, or could have done that. Oh my goodness. I I just can't even, that just puts, um, puts my heart in a bad spot on that. We are having just a great time, just some really profound discussion and conversation with Mary Cypers. She's the regional director of the Anti-Defamation League, serving the five states here in the Northwest, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, Alaska. Um, Mary, are you getting out to those states pretty often, or do you just you kind of, I mean, typically, obviously, we probably haven't been traveling this past year. But typically, are you? Uh, what does that look like to serve um, those states outside of Washington? Um, I mean, we love it as a staff. We're we love traveling and you know doing different community programs and trainings all across the region. You know, pre-COVID, it was you know such a pleasure to get to know you know the community in Anchorage, and you know we have board members from all over Anchorage and Boise and Portland and. Eastern Washington. So we love, you know, getting out and about and providing our resources. And it's amazing to be able to, you know, connect and support communities that don't always have the amazing access that we do in the Seattle area. So it's something that we love to do. And we're looking forward, um, you know, to traveling again soon. So it is a privilege to represent and travel throughout the Pacific Northwest. Which of those four other states, which one do you like the best? (laughs) <laughs> i don't know it's so tough um i don't know i loved anchorage i really love alaska and learning more about the community there's incredible diversity there um you know within anchorage and there are a lot of really interesting kind of like budding civil rights organizations there so it's just been really interesting to learn about the different landscapes in each places and the different kind of civic you know, organizations that are there. So we love, you know, partnering with different people and learning more and, you know, just kind of building the ADL brand and making sure that we're serving different communities. I mean, more and more what we see is that the more that gets reported to ADL, the more contacts we get from community members. 
um, just help us inform our work and, you know, in, in the services that we provide. So it's tremendously helpful. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned in the last segment was about social media. And I, I can't help but think, I mean, just how social media has has really given rise to just a lot of the vitriol you know, that we see. And then, of course, now we're seeing, you know, do you think with, with the rise in hate crimes that you're seeing both here in our region and around the country, it, obviously, it's not because of social media. Right. But it's it's almost like folks are being emboldened by the ability to collaborate, you know, with maybe other people that have the same distorted view on things as well as then, you know, being able to, to type about it behind a computer, which then of course then just leads to this, you know, these ugly actions. I mean, is this, do you, have you seen a rise? I know you guys track this with the advent of social media and then the, this, this cataclysmic rise in hate crimes. Yeah, I, I I do think, you know, I wouldn't say that the two are, you know, one leads to the other, but they definitely feed off of each other and make it, you know, make these kinds of issues even harder to tackle. You know, I'll say just to kind of like provide the basics. It's pretty shocking to people, but Washington state is such an awesome state. I love living here. There's so many wonderful assets and so many ways that we're, you know, innovative and outdoorsy and, you know, wonderful people. But we also have a really bad problem with hate crimes here. Um, and some of it might be because reporting is stronger in, you know, some areas with that are more populated. But Washington State actually has the third highest per capita rate of hate crimes in the U.S. Wow. And the fourth highest number of hate crimes after only California, New York, and New Jersey, which obviously have huge populations. So, you know, I don't think we're immune to the problem. We've seen hate crimes rise nationwide in the past couple of years, and they've really risen in Washington state where, you know, we're seeing huge spikes in recent years against the Latinx community, against the LGBTQ community, um, you know, now with the API community. So um, we're seeing the problem just continue to grow. We're also, we also know that the problem is really underreported, so we don't know you know, everything that's really happening on the ground. But at the same time, we've also seen, you know, just as everyday people are more emboldened to commit acts of hate, we've also just seen how white supremacists and people who ascribe to that kind of ideology are more emboldened than ever. They used to, you know, our extremism experts used to track them in, you know, the the dark web of the internet and private chat rooms and it was, you know, much harder to see what they were doing. But now, you know, many of them are just out there um, and very, very comfortable sharing their views. So I think, um, you know, a lot has changed in recent years in terms of how those who, you know, those who spew hate are very comfortable in society doing so. Um, so I think it's just there's a lot of collective responsibility to you know, understand the problem on the ground and to really better understand what's happening online. ADL um, is really one of the organizations at the forefront of talking about, you know, the amazing parts of technology, how it connects us and, you know, how it creates opportunity for so many people. Um, You know, we've certainly seen in COVID how technology has allowed us to provide our 
education resources, like our No Place for Hate programs and schools and our community events and so many different amazing, you know, resources across our region, you know, for free for people just because of technology. But it's also created some really dark elements where we know that, you know, harassment and bullying, you know, is just really causing havoc in society. And I think one of the ways that the ADL is really trying to thread the needle is to say that, you know, bullying and harassment, you know, sure, they happen online and they're very common, unfortunately, but it's often not random. You know, it's targeting people because of who they are to make them feel unwelcome, you know, and to target them because of their race or religion or, you know, sexual orientation or gender identity, et cetera. So we've really tried to spotlight through annual reports we have, actually one we're releasing this week that shows, you know, what does online hate and harassment look like for, you know, certain certain communities and what are some of the ways that we're actually, you know, pushing our laws forward that are super, super outdated when it comes to technology? Um, last year, for example, we were able to work to protect victims of swatting, which is basically um, happening to a lot of, you know, communities of color and even journalists. If, you know, people don't like, you know, what you say and what you're reporting and it's like falsely reporting a crime and, you know, having a SWAT team show up at your house with guns drawn and, we saw that happen to Ijeoma Olua and, you know, she is, you know, a prominent, you know, black female author and, and a lot of others. So I think um, it's interesting to see how this kind of on the ground, you know, like swatting and doxing and um, all of these types of issues are commingling online. And, you know, as I said, it's complicated, you know, there's kind of like everyday hate and intolerance, you know, there's extremism and a real proclivity for people to congregate and to plan online, you know, like they did for the January 6th riots. And then, you know, this rise of online hate. So there's there's just so much going on in society right now and so many ways that we need to better understand the problem and kind of work collaboratively on solutions. So it's definitely something that we have been focusing on and thinking about a lot. And I I think it needs to be a much bigger conversation that we're having. And you've been, I mean, you've had your office, there's been concerns, security concerns. Is that in the past? And I don't know if that, if that's uh, something you want to mention or talk about, but I know that there's been, because you mentioned the whole idea of what, what, what folks are doing um, online with bringing SWAT teams in what what are your thoughts around your your own personal concerns around that? No, I mean, you know, people always ask us, you know, why don't you publish your, um, you know, the list of your staff members or, you know, things like that. And, you know, the truth is, as an organization that tracks and exposes hate and domestic extremism, um, you know, in Washington state, like we are not immune to that kind of hate here in our own backyard. It really exists in our own communities and we know that there's a long history of white supremacy in the pacific northwest so it's something that we really need to push back on and and really understand that history and how it's you know translating in today's world and you know i had a very unfortunate experience of personally being targeted by a neo-nazi group last year and you know i think people think about you know domestic extremists you know they're rioting at the capitol and they're in portland and You know, they're in places that aren't in my community, but the truth is that, you know, as someone who was, you know, targeted along with another journalist in the Seattle area, you know, and I had to go to a hotel and, you know, just 
you know, have the FBI like at my house and it's still something that I, you know, am, am paranoid about. It's really scary. So I think it's something, you know, that we as a society need to just, we need to wake up and realize that domestic extremism is a really, really big problem. And here in the Pacific Northwest, it's, it's a huge issue. Um, we actually responded to an incident um, just a couple of weeks ago where um, a synagogue was terribly vandalized in Spokane and Eastern Washington by, um, you know, allegedly um, the suspect is a member of a neo-Nazi group there. And we've seen that in Seattle too with white supremacist groups, like actually posting um, propaganda at different synagogues in the area. And imagine like how exposed, Mm. you know, your community feels when you know that white supremacists are going to your place of worship or your house or where you live. So I think, you know, these are, these are really concerning times. And I think, you know, we need to, we need to be aware of really what's going on in our own backyards and not fearful, but, you know, vigilant and, and thoughtful. Absolutely. Mary, I'm, I am sorry you've had to endure that. That is just, that's awful. And I tell you, you are, um, you're an inspiration to me and so many others because of how you uh, respond to tough situations like this and, and the work that you're doing. And, you know, one of my, um, you know, favorite, um, what, you know, I'll call him a, a theologian, the, the singer Bono from U2. You ever heard of U2 before, Mary? Yeah, you know, there's <laughs> a minor, minor band. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said one time. Of course. <laughs> I know. He said one time, don't become a monster in order to defeat a monster. And. Mm-hmm. And that was I, I that that kind of quote I was stuck with me right because there's there's there are really ugly things that we that we see and experience around us right and we have a fallen society and there's just a lot of things around us and but let's not you know the the old adage you know don't become a monster right don't um, and, and Martin Luther King talked about that as well right I mean don't you can't bring hate with hate, right? You got to bring love. Yeah. And and that's the one thing that, you know, we need to do is bring, you know, love because that's what can drive out hate. And what a, what a great example, Mary, you are to showing us here in this community um, to be gracious, to be reasonable, principled, collaborative, and uh, re- just really appreciate you taking the time to come on. But um, thanks, Mary, for taking the time and really excited for Allyship in Action tomorrow. And if anyone wanted to kind of follow along uh, with that and the program, where can they go? What can they do? Go to seattle.adl.org and it's on our homepage and you can register. And we would love to have you. And, you know, I will just say for anyone you know, looking to have more resources to better understand whether, you know, you're a parent trying to educate your children, whether you're, you know, an educator, a community member, you know, whoever you are and whatever you do, you know, we want to be an organization that's here to serve the community. So if you're interested in, you know, community programs or learning more about our resources or trainings or if you see something in the community that's concerning or you want to learn more about that you think might be related to bias or hate, 
you know, we, we really um, encourage people to contact us and, you know, that is what we're here for. So seattle.adl.org or um, at ADLPNW, our social media, um, our social media accounts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, and yeah, we really appreciate the opportunity. And unfortunately, we have a lot of work to do right now, but um, you know, we will be keeping up the good fight and um, excited to have a lot of, you know, good, good people on our side working with us. Absolutely. Mary, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you taking the time. And, and I know Thank our you. listeners were encouraged with having you on. So we'll, we'll talk to you soon, Mary. 